This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. I'm Stuart Finlay. Welcome to the Life Study Program on Free FM 89.0. Life Study of the Bible is produced by Living Stream Ministry, Anaheim, California, and brought to you by the Church in Hamilton. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year crowning work, the Life Study of the Bible, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. Again today, it's Ron Kangas with Witness Lee in our program in the Life Study of the Gospel of John. This is part one of The Need of the Thirsty, Life's Quenching. The verses are John chapter 7, verses 1 to 36. If you'd like to contact us, our telephone number is Hamilton 853-2620, which we will repeat again later. Now here's Ron and Witness Lee. Ron, today we're coming to chapter 7 of John and the need of the thirsty, life's quenching. But Witness Lee actually begins this message with a reference back to chapter 5, verse 39. Uh, We didn't get to this when we were in chapter 5, and I think that this verse and his comments are worth our time. So perhaps you could read verse 39 for us before going on to chapter 7. Uh, Actually, I'd like to read uh, verses 39 and 40 to give a uh, fuller context. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is these that testify concerning me. Yet you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. And now let's go to Witness Lee. End of the point that is very, very important, revealed by the Lord in chapter 5, that is, we shouldn't separate the Word of God from the Lord himself. The Pharisees, they searched the Scriptures, yet they would not come to the Lord for life. But now we must get the warning that whenever we come to search the Word, we have to touch the Lord Himself. We have to make the searching of the Word with the touching of the Lord one thing. Whenever we come to study, to read, to search the Bible, we have to open up our spirit to contact the Lord. While our eyes are reading the Scripture, and our mind is understanding it, our spirit has to be exercised to contact the Lord. Then we will not only get the letters in black and white, but also get the life into our spirit through our understanding in our mentality. So remember well, never keep the two things one from another, but always keep the two things as one. Let's pause here, Ron. 
it seems that in our experience, there is a kind of devotional time in the Word with the Lord, and then there are times uh, when it is more academic study of the Word. But it seems here in this verse that the Lord is almost scolding the Pharisees, and Witness Lee uses the word warning regarding the mere academic study of the Bible. What's your understanding about this? My understanding of these verses is that the Lord is telling the Pharisees that they search the Scriptures, not mindful of the fact that the Scriptures testify concerning Christ. And then he goes on to remark that they were not willing to come to him for life. Rather, they thought it was sufficient in order to receive eternal life merely to study the scriptures in letter. The crucial point here is that in our reading of the Bible, in whatever way we read, we should not separate the scriptures from the Lord himself. By this I mean that when we come to the written word, we should also be conscious of the fact that we're coming to Christ as the living word. Whenever we come to the scriptures, we should exercise our whole being, our mind to read carefully and to understand, our heart to love the Lord and his word, and our spirit to touch the Lord himself and to touch the spirit in the word. So, actually, there should not be a fundamental difference between devotional reading or academic reading. In either case, we're using our whole being. It's a matter of emphasis. The danger with mere academic study is that we actually forget that the Bible is the Word of God. Its essence is the breath of God. It imparts the spirit and life of God, and it testifies of the Christ of God. And we may unintentionally regard it just as a textbook. If we do that, and thereby separate in our experience the written word from the living word, we're in danger, because we will just touch the letter. And the letter does not give life. Only Christ gives life, because he himself is life. Let's rejoin Witness Lee. We come to chapter 7. In chapter 7, we have uh, the sixth case showing the need of the Thursday. Chapter 6 has a case showing the need of the hungry. Now we have a following case showing the need of the Thursday. For the need of the Thursday, he is the very life that is able to quench man's thirst. Again, I would say, John is a book of pictures. He didn't say things like we do in a very simple way because these things regarding or concerning the matter of life is too profound, too deep, too rich, yet too mysterious, too abstract. So John, I believe, under God's inspiration, picked up this way of 
pictures. As we have seen in chapter 5, you have a picture, right? Then in chapter 6, you have another picture. Now in chapter 7, another picture. Even, I tell you, in chapter 4, there was also a picture. Right? A picture with the sunshine, and the sunshine, you have Jacob's wall, and the thirsty Savior came there waiting for the coming thirsty sinner. Then another picture, according to the record of chapter 5, there is a pool, beside the pool, you know, you have fat porches with so many people lying there, expecting so much, yet being able to do nothing. But out of a sudden, a little man who was alive came. Then another picture, according to the record in chapter 6, my, uh, in the wilderness, the mountain is there, and you have a sea with uh, waves and the wind brewing, and uh, the boat there tossed to and fro. Uh, all the people scared to death. Then all of a sudden, a little man walking on the top of all the waves, right? And this little man fed all the hungry crowd with five loaves and two little fishes. It's very meaningful, very meaningful. Let's break in here again. It seems that today we're back in the heavenly art gallery, and Witness Lee has given us a little tour of all the scenes that we have viewed thus far in John. Why is this book, a book that unveils life to us, so full of pictures? The Gospel of John is the gospel that presents Christ, the Son of God, as life to us, meaning the divine, uncreated, indestructible, eternal life. And especially in these chapters, from 2 through 11, we are seeing that life meets every human need. The question is, why does this gospel use so many pictures? I would suggest it's because life itself is mysterious. It's abstract. Even our human life is virtually indefinable. And if the Lord wants to impress us deeply that he himself is life and as life meets our need, we need to have clear pictures or signs to us indicating how life meets every human need. Actually, in this gospel, miracles are called signs. They're symbols with spiritual significance. So the Lord, in his great mercy to us, in wanting to unveil himself as life to us, inspired John to write in the way of pictures that we can see that life, which is so mysterious and abstract in itself, has a clear and definite and practical expression when applied to us through Christ in our human need. Picture after picture showing that Christ as life meets every human situation. Let's go back to Witness Lee. Then another picture, <laughs> according to the record of chapter 7. The scene of the Feast of Tabernacles. 
in contrast with the scene of the feast of Passover in chapter 6. In every year in ancient time, the Jewish people had a series of feasts, seven feasts. The first one is the Passover, and the last one is the Tabernacle. If you read the verses concerning the Passover in Exodus chapter 12, you can see Passover indicates or implies the beginning of the year or the beginning of human life. Of course, even in spiritual meaning, it is also so. Why? Because Passover is for salvation. When we uh, get saved, we have a new start, right? And Passover was always in the first months of the year. That is the beginning. So, you uh, young people, I would say, all are, in a sense, the Passover. You just have started your life with much, much expectation. You have a good expectation for your graduation, and you have a good plan after graduation. You'll be professor, you'll be doctor, you'll be an attorney, you'll be CPA. This is the first Passover, and this kind of feast of Passover always ends in hunger. After you get your graduation, you get your degree, you'll be medical doctor, you'll be a nurse, eventually you'll find nothing but hunger. The higher position you get, the more hunger you have. The more money you make, the more trouble you get. Nothing but hunger. So chapter 6, in the face of Passover, as an initial stage of the human life, ends in what? Hunger. Now, the Feast of Tabernacle, as the last feast in the year, implies what? Implies the completion of your job, of your achievement the success of your uh, career. You may have a success in your career. You may have a success in your achievement. But you have to realize that will issue in heart in thirst. <laughs> Eventually, <laughs> for the whole life, you have been working, working, working. Eventually, you get hot. You get a thirst. Why? Because everything will have a last day. Last day. Everything will be ended. And the last day, which is the great day. Always the last day is the great day. You know, after people got the success, other people would give them a memorial day. The memorial day always the last day of that person. That is the end. And the end means what? The end means empty. And empty means what? Thirsty. Thirst. So it is quite meaningful. In chapter 6, you have the beginning of the human life, which ends in hunger. Now in chapter 7, you have uh, the success, the completion of your human life, which ends in 
thirst. Ron, this is quite a picture in chapter 6. Our human life begins with so much hope and promise, but we have all experienced what Witness Lee is pointing out, that invariably all the things that we hope for in the beginning leave us hungry, and all that we accomplish in the end still leaves us thirsty. I imagine that this is also your experience. In this chapter of John, we see something actually quite surprising. We see thirst in the midst of success. Often we associate thirst with failure. One didn't achieve one's goal, so one is still thirsty. But the Feast of Tabernacles, as presented here, signifies the greatest moments, uh, the most precious moments in human life in and of itself. And the Lord is showing that even at these times, we discover the thirst within us is not fulfilled by anything other than God himself. I would refer to my experience in a general way by saying that I thank the Lord for so many blessings and even some human achievement, for a wonderful wife, for a wonderful family, for so many things. But I've learned that nothing other than Christ himself as life can satisfy my spiritual thirst. When I was younger, I expected marriage itself or family life itself or a job itself to satisfy me. But I've learned only one can satisfy, and that is Christ as a living water. And you learn that by being conscious of and admitting to yourself that in the midst of what seems to be the best of times, there's still a longing within. That's the longing for God himself in Christ as the Spirit to be the living water. And I've also discovered by the Lord's mercy that it's really a mercy to be thirsty, a mercy to admit to ourselves that none but Christ can satisfy, and to come to him and drink of him until the rivers flow out of our regenerated spirit. Praise him that he is such a satisfying one and such a wise one to shepherd us into the realization that we need him ultimately and him alone. Amen. Let's return to Witness Lee. This Feast of Tabernacle signifies the completion and success of people's life with its enjoyment in a religious way. But this record here has a purpose to remind us the need of the eternal tabernacle with the water of life flowing in it. At Jerusalem, whenever every year they had the Feast of Tabernacle, they put a big rock there. And over the rock, they have the water flowing out of the rock. Just to remind the people that their forefathers wandered in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, they had a rock cleft 
to throw the living water. And by side of these, there might be some tent showing that their forefathers lived in the tent and wandered in the wilderness, but they had the rock craved for them to throw the living water to quench thirst. There is a very meaningful significance. That is, the human life today is a life in the wilderness. Regardless, you are a trash man, or you are a president, or you are a pre- professor, you are an attorney. I'll tell you, you all are <laughs> wandering in the wilderness. Regardless, you are living uh, in the high risers, a wooden building, a brick building, a rock building. I tell you, still, whatever you live in, it's just a tent. Just a tent. A tent means what? A tent means a temporary living. Even the United Nations, that is also a tent. Compared with New Jerusalem. That is a tent. All the high risers in New York, Manhattan, I tell you, are just little tents. We all are pilgrims, uh, wandering in the wilderness, living in the tent, and we drink, we have to drink the living water out of the rock. This is just a kind of a reminding that someday the real face of tabernacle will come. And that will be the new heaven and the new earth within which the new Jerusalem will be the eternal tabernacle. In Revelation 21, it says the new Jerusalem is the tabernacle of God with man. That is the real tabernacle. That is the eternal, permanent, constant tabernacle. And we know in that tabernacle, in the New Jerusalem, there is the river of life flowing all the time, quenching God's elect's thirst. So the face of tabernacle was not only a mere picture, but also to remind you we do have such a future. And to cause you to realize, never be satisfied with the things in this age. These all the things on our pilgrimage. All the things will be over. We are just traveling through here. And we are touring. We are journeying toward our final goal. And our final goal, our eternal tabernacle, is there in the new earth and new heaven, which will be the new Jerusalem. Ron, this is quite a view, that regardless of our position or attainments, we are just pilgrims passing through on our way to a final destination, the new Jerusalem with the real quenching water. This is a tremendous subject. I'll try to say something along two lines. The first is that the New Testament, uh, not only in John, but say in Hebrews chapter 11, reveals that the Christian life is a journey. If we realize that our life is a journey, we will never settle down on this earth to be a common, earthly, worldly person living for the present age, living for now. 
in whatever situation we are in with our dwelling or our job or our family, we should have the consciousness, I'm a sojourner living in a tent on my way to the ultimate destination. This ultimate destination is the second and actually most uh, vital point. Because here, in all candor, I have to say, in faithfulness to the New Testament revelation, I must depart from the common understanding of many Christians, sincere believers in Christ, that according to the book of Revelation, our ultimate destination is not heaven. It's not a mansion in heaven. It's the city of God, the new Jerusalem, the tabernacle of God, the dwelling place of God that comes down out of heaven. This dwelling place, this tabernacle, this city, this new Jerusalem is not a physical material city. It is the consummation of the church as the body of Christ. It's a divine organism constituted of the triune God in Christ and all the believers in Christ. And if we see this and realize that we are pilgrims and sojourners, then we will realize we cannot rest until we, with the Lord and all the saints, have arrived at the goal of God's eternal purpose, which is to have the new Jerusalem as his eternal, ultimate, consummate, corporate expression in Christ, then all the believers should be stirred up in their spirit, drinking of the Lord as the living water, but recognizing, no matter what my outward situation is, I'm living in a tent, and I'm on my way, not to a mansion in heaven, but to the city of the living God, the new Jerusalem, God's ultimate goal, and my final destination. Thank you, Ron. When you have succeeded in all your achievements, when you have enjoyed all your possessions, when you have rejoiced in all your best circumstances, you will then realize that your thirst has not been quenched. Nothing is adequate to quench your thirst. Only the Lord can quench your thirst by affording you the living water. We're always happy to hear from you and answer any questions you may have. We have copies of the recovery version of the New Testament with its accompanying footnotes available, and we'd love to send you a copy. They're free. If you'd rather, you can order a copy from Bibles for New Zealand at bfnz.org.nz, or you can ring their 0800 number 0800 40 40 80, or you can call us on Hamilton 853 2620, 853 2620. Join me again next week at the same time, 2.30pm, when we will have the next life study in the book of John. We close with the hymn, This Is My Rest, and it's from the CD, I Love Thy Kingdom, Lord. This is my rest i uh-huh.
You're listening to Free FM 89.0, a great station supported by New Zealand On Air. Thank you for listening today. We hope you've enjoyed the Life Study Program. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.